This is Brian Billick, and I'm joined by Denny Green, my partner in crime on The Coach's Show. Welcome to The Coach's Show podcast presented by Bud Light. It's the surest sign of a good time. Here we go. Green Bay out of timeouts with a minute 34 to go in the game and first and 10. LaRon McClain. Get in your calculator. They're going to go to an E. They can. They can run this out as Green Bay's out of timeouts. Len, what a incredible victory. The Gatorade Romeo Cronell. <laughs> the Kansas City Chiefs have done it. Raise a glass to the 72 Miami Dolphins. You broke our heart here in 1971. But today, Kansas City, Kansas City pulls off an upset of Old Testament proportions. Everybody thought that you were going to die, that honor, that, that honor death, you know? Uh, you're going to die with honor. That's what everybody thought. Right? They didn't realize that you are not ready to die yet. We're going to finish this thing strong. That's what we got to do. Well, obviously, Denny, you got to begin with the undefeated Green Bay Packers going down to the Kansas City Chiefs. And, and let, let's talk about the game itself, but let's first talk about we both know Romeo Cornell. He's a good man. Let's talk about what this means for him and the Kansas City Chiefs. Could this lead to Romeo Cornell being the next head coach of the Chiefs? Well, I think it really does. I mean, I think Scott Paoli's the one who hired him. You know, he hired him. It's not that, that Coach Haley hired him. And I, I think that Romeo has already had half the team in his corner, which is the defense. He's only been there for – you know, three quarters of the season. And and I think that it doesn't take very much for the defensive guy to say, look, we've got a guy here. He knows us. He knows you. Let's get behind this guy. Let's play our best game. Now, whether or not that best game would be good enough, that you don't know. But I think that Kansas City was ready with Romeo named the interim head coach to play their best game. And I think that's what they did. And we also know, and you alluded to it, that the players, obviously Romeo is is a very likable guy. Players like playing for Romeo. Players also like certainty. They like the idea because the players don't know if there's a change at the head coaching position. Well, what does that mean for me? Absolutely. Is that going to affect my situation? Like you say, half that room anyway knows what it means for them because they have the relationship. <coughs> Excuse me. They have that relationship with Romeo Cornell, and I think it's the perfect scenario. I'm not sure Scott Pioli isn't sitting there and hoping he can parlay this into a couple wins because that solves a lot of problems for him. We talked about it being a general manager's league. Scott Pioli would like to maintain control of this. He knows because he brought in Romeo Cornell, like you said. Josh McDaniels, who you got a feeling he'd love to bring in. His, I don't know if he can sell him as his head coach, <laughs> but I can certainly sell him as now as an offensive coordinator, and I've right. got just the lineup that I want. Even though, I mean, it's not like the St. Louis Rams are having great offensive productivity. But Josh McDaniels, I think Scott Pioli feels that Josh deserves a second chance, just like Bill Belichick deserved a second chance uh, after his uh, debacle at, at, uh, at Cleveland. And so I, I think that definitely is an issue. And, and Romeo got that team to really play. Now, the question, how did they do it? Well, I, I know this. They, it was led by defense because it was a lower-scoring game. We also know that the Packers weren't as sharp. They dropped some balls, which you don't they don't normally do. And then this West Coast offense, which has been the phenom. And and the Packers are classic West Coast offense by way of Mike Holmgren, by way of yours and my mentors, Bill Walsh. It can have troubles against cover two. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that was one of those days yesterday where they had a little bit of trouble. First cover, too. Let's talk about the game specifically as you look at it. Now, you made a great point in our production meeting. 
that that obviously, and we've been talking, everybody's been talking about, well, okay, what do the Green Bay Packers do? Can they make a run at the undefeated season? How is that, you know, how can that happen? I'm going to pull the old Allen Iverson, though, you know, at practice. You mean practice? I mean, this is the Chiefs. How, how, how is it? If I'd have thought there was going to be a team, I'd have thought maybe Chicago, maybe Detroit was going to upset the apple cart in terms of the undefeated season. I don't know that I would have picked the Chiefs, but let's let's talk about what we did in our meeting about you and I know better than most that in order to play in this league, you've got to bring your A game every Sunday emotionally, intellectually, and the intensity level. Anything less than that. And and they don't want to be there. They think they were there. But you always – you what, what's the two criteria when you say a team's not as sharp? That's right. Well, when they drop balls. Exactly right. On offense and when they miss tackles. Exactly and, right. And, and, and we th- saw that in that game. We saw both. And, and I think the other issue is that there was – you know, the longer you're undefeated, the more talk it is about being undefeated. And a little bit more confidence you have to be. And I, I think clearly the Packers are probably overconfident that if we lose, it clearly is not going to be in Kansas City. We're on the road, yeah, but we can go in there. They just got a new coach. You know what I mean? I mean, they've lost all these games in a row. And I, I think that that put them in a situation that made them vulnerable. And and I think that's what Romeo was, was able to sell. This team is vulnerable. They're 13-0. and 0. They're trying to make up their mind how they're going to play the game. They're missing a key receiver. They're talking a lot about who they're missing a key receiver. They are losing some players in the offensive line. They're not quite as sharp in the line. So there are a lot of things that kind of lined up, as they say, with the Stars that created this opportunity that Kansas City took advantage of. You and I went through, uh, when you were the head coach of Minnesota and I was your offensive coordinator, we went through a 15-1 season. And we lost in week 8, 9, 10, somewhere in there right. to Tampa. Was it, looking back now, and, and as a coach, we're competitors. It's, there's nothing good comes from a loss. You'd love to have an undefeated season. Does it make it a little easier to address the second half of the season, the last two or three games, who am I going to play, the approach I'm going to take when you're not carrying around now. It's a great goal to have, but did life, this sounds odd, but did it get a little easier for Mike McCarthy and the Green Bay Packers? Well, he doesn't have to try to convince them that they can be beaten. They were beaten. You know, when you're riding high, you think you can't be beaten, and that's a good thing. I mean, you want to believe yeah. that, but now the question is, can you sure make sure you're crossing all your T's and dotting all your I's and being just as intense and all those other things? And the more you talk, you know, then probably the less you are. So I don't think he's got to sell them now. Hey, if we don't bring our A game, we can lose, and that's what happened. They did not bring their A game, and they lost. And it doesn't mean that they have to just lose to a top team. That means that anybody could beat us because Kansas City was that type of team. Well, let's talk about how that changes the dynamic now. We talked briefly last week about, as was this juggernaut rolling on, If you, how do you go for the undefeated season? What's the value you place on it? How do you handle the players? All right, this has changed. We just said. You know, you, you we had that 15-1 and one team in, in uh, Minnesota. I had two teams in my time in Baltimore where we had secured our playoff position. One year it was with two games left. Uh, one year it was with one game left where we had nothing to play for, supposedly, and that our playoff position was not changed. We were going to play in the same position, and we were playing teams that, uh, particularly the one year in my Super Bowl run year where the New York Jets had to come in and win to get in. Let's talk about now what Mike McCarthy does, what what we did in that year in Minnesota, in terms of how do you approach it now? In that, and they can they're they're not there yet, but depending what happens with the San Francisco game, they can secure that number one spot. How does Mike McCarthy now approach 
right. the end of the, of the last couple games of the season in terms of the health of his team, a bye, and the playoffs. Well, one thing they established is that they cannot give up that home field advantage all the way through the playoffs. And so they watch kind of carefully what happens with San Francisco in their game against Pittsburgh tonight. Number two, though, even regardless if San Francisco wins or loses, if San Francisco loses, they're still going to play their starters, I think. And I think you still do. I think you play your starters. You don't necessarily play them for the whole game. No, it's not important if you have home field advantage. You're already th- 13 and 1. I guess it's great to be 14 and 1, but it, there's nothing wrong with 13 and 2 either. But you want to make sure that your players are healthy. And, you know, Rodgers got hit a few times yesterday. I mean, the offensive line is struggling. They've had injuries. They're going to need to rebuild a couple spots, see if we have to move a tackle to guard or a guard to tackle. And so he's going to have to take a careful look at that and, at the same sense, not lose the momentum, not lose the sharpness. So it clearly is a juggling act that they're going to have to go through. And you adapt on the run. We had this experience we talked about in the production meeting. I think I think you reminded me it was in 94, where we went in the last game of the season in Minnesota. We had to win to get in. If we lost to San Francisco, who was already in, had really nothing to play for, then Green Bay went in. So we had a lot on the line. And San Francisco all week long said, we're playing our starters. We're going to keep the momentum we want to do. And and Steve Young was the quarterback. And you opened the game, and you had our defensive coordinator. We must have blitzed every day. We hit Steve Young the first three. That was it. George said, okay, enough of that. You're out, and you're done. Mike McCarthy can take the approach. Look, we're going to stay sharp. You're going to practice. But at the end of the day, when I say you're done, you're done. Well, he has to do that. And keep in mind now, you know, when the other team comes to play, they're saying they've got something to play for also and I think that's the key thing and he's going to want to protect his players the best he can but at the same sense he knows that if it's going to be that kind of a game or it's going to be real physical they're going to be blitzing he's going to be getting hit and he does not want Rodgers getting hit then he very well could tell him right from the start we'll go to first quarter and that's it. Or we'll go to halftime, that's it. Or I reserve the right to determine when I'm going to pull you out. Now, once he leaves, unfortunately, then it's hard to play to win because a lot of the other guys want to leave too. And you can't take everybody. You only have five receivers. You can't take them all out. You only have three running backs. You can't take them all out. So once you start down that road, it gets to be difficult and very dicey. But clearly, he does not want Rodgers getting hit by a weakened offensive line if they have home field advantage already secured. Yeah, I have that last game where Detroit is at Green Bay, and you better believe Jim Schwartz, who will likely need the game to win, uh, if they decide, okay, we're going to play Aaron Rodgers. I'm going to get Kyle Vandenbosch and Averill and Sue in the middle, and I'm going to blitz your butt every play and make you think twice about how long you want Aaron Rodgers in that game. Yeah, because they need the game. And, you know, when the, you know Detroit needs the game. they got to have the game. They're going to play the game and say, hey, we got to let him know and make sure that Green Bay understands we are desperate for a win, and we're going to play that way. And now they've got to make up their mind, okay, are we going to play with this desperate team? Who has to win? Are we going to say, mm, no, not today. We're going to give it up. I, I always also, uh, only half joking about it, but we both live this, where the players want to show their competitiveness. Oh, I want to play. I'm in. But then it's behind the breath. Coach, you're not really going to let me play, are you? Yeah. You're, you're going to pull me, aren't you? I'm telling the medium, oh, yeah, I'm going to. I'm, Coach, you're not really going to let me play, are you? Every guy likes a day off, whether you're driving well, a milk right. truck or you're playing football. And I, my, I, to finish this topic out, to me, I kind of took the approach. Look, guys, yeah, we're going to be competitive. And it's kind of like the, the, the last preseason game. 
in the sense that because I my biggest concern was okay, let's say I decide I do want to rest you the last game. Well, that means you're not into it mentally in practice or in the game. Then we have a bye week, and then we only get so much done physically the week of the game. That's three full weeks before you're having any real substantive live action. That concerns me a little bit. So at the very least, I want you to prepare like you're going to start because I am going to start you in that last game. I want that focus. I'm going to put you in the game, but it may be a series, it may be a quarter, and then I'm going to pull you out. Right, and I think that that focus is what you need, but because there's no guarantee. I mean, you get home for the vantage, you get the first round by, but that doesn't mean anything. A lot of so here comes Janikowski with what could be an NFL record field goal, depending upon where they line it up. They are lining this up to be a 65-yard field goal. This would be the longest in the history of the NFL. Janikowski, who's already hit from 63 in his career. This is it. Good snap. Spot down. Janikowski on the way. It's partially blocked. It's short. It's no good. And this game is over. The Detroit Lions with a comeback victory, 28-27 to here in Oakland. Well, let's, let's move on. I had a, a fascinating game. I had the Detroit Lions at the Oakland Raiders, really one of the best games. Uh, went down literally to the last second. Let's talk a little bit about a couple things. Uh, not only the game, but and Dominican Sue came back after the two two game suspension, right. and so it was going to be very interesting. Okay, what what's this young man going to do? Really, did not do much in the game other than his presence until the end of the game. He is the one to block the field goal. Now that was a sixty five yarder, nice low drive. Yeah, so but he he got up now for a big man. Let's talk uh, just in general terms about. Um, and Dominican Sue coming back into the game and handling that player that's been on suspension for very clear-cut reasons about that walking that fine line, a James Harrison now in Pittsburgh right. coming back, that fine line between I don't want to stamp down on your passion, but by the same token, you've got to understand what you've done can't continue. Well, I think the rules of the game are crucial for everyone's safety. Number two, you can hurt your football team by having personal fouls, and you can't have personal fouls. And and then, you know, you can't – you're swimming against the tide. The the league has made up its mind that it's going to do the best it can to protect players, that it's going to do everything it can to avoid these really threatening injuries that take place. And so it becomes crucial now that whatever the rules are, you follow those rules. Well, and, and here's what my point – and Dominican Sue, as you know – uh, this is a smart young man. This is not a thug, you know, contrary to the mentality of a defensive lineman. He is a very intelligent and tar- articulate. But he, like we've seen in James Harrison in Pittsburgh, has burred up a little bit. It's kind of the world against me. I got to play my way. Okay, that may be true. But the, the example I made to him was, was well, wait, I have Haloti Nada, maybe the most dominant inside presence in the league. And Sue has the capability of being that kind of presence. Right. It's not there yet. But he can get there. He's a physically dominant talent. In the same two-year period where Dominican Sue has had nine personal fouls, Haloti Nada's had one. Right. So you can be a dominant inside passionate player, but you don't have to commit these penalties. Well, no one's trying to take the passion away, but I, I think that you can't be a dirty player, and I think that's the key thing. You know, when he was taken out of the game, he was doing a lot of explaining to Jim Schwartz about the guy grabbing his leg, all that stuff, which he very well might have been, but you still, you still can't kick a player. Uh, and you can't commit a personal foul. And so there's that fine line, and I think that's really what's going on with James Harrison right now. I mean, I think that he's a, you know, he's got a chip on his shoulder, always will, because he was not drafted, because he was cut, 
because he's had to fight from the bottom up and battle all the time, and that's so admirable. What a great, admirable position to be in. Great story. Absolutely. But you have to make sure as the game changes and the game is changing that you change along with the game. And so what I had said in our our meeting beforehand that that I think where Coach Tomlin's got to step in, Mike Tomlin's got to say, look, I don't like the fact that the commissioner seems to be telling me how to deal with my players. And so from now on, I think it's got to be, you know, Mike Tomlin who is the one who does the discipline. And that means if he's got to sit him down, if he's got to find him, whatever he's got to do, I think it's going to be crucial that he gets him back and says, look, the entire Pittsburgh defense hits. We all hit. Everybody on this defense hits. Otherwise, it wouldn't be here. But we have to make sure that we hit along with the changing that is taking place in the rules of the game. I was. I looked forward to, to doing the show today with you because, as always, it's as former head coaches, we're always looking at strategies of the game and decisions you have to make. There was a decision in that game that I wanted to talk to you about. Um, Oakland had scored, and it made it 26-14. to 14. There were seven minutes left in the game. Now, and it's the kind of decisions that you have to make as a coach in a very short period of time. Let's lay up what the options are. They chose to kick the field goal. Okay. That the, made, the PAT. That, the, the PAT, excuse right. me. That made it 27-14. That's a 13-point differential. Right. The thinking being, okay, it takes two scores to beat me, or it takes a score and two field goals to tie me. So that's right. why I kicked the field goal. There is a point to be made and ultimately you know Detroit went the length of the field 98 yards scored a touchdown kicked the extra point and win by one 28 27 right there's a point to be made that it's a set not to second guess but we are Hugh Jackson might have considered you know what maybe I go for two because I know okay well now now if you don't get it then you're only up by 12 but given seven minutes it's unlikely it would have been a three-possession game. Right. Does not the clock dictate? It's probably a two-possession game. I probably should have gone for two and made them then either go for a two-point after the last score or at the very least kick the extra point to take us to overtime rather than win. Yeah, I think you have to because here's what the scenario would be then. You want them to have to score two touchdowns, and that is almost the same. You remember many, many times we've had a game, if you have to kick – two field goals, and score a touchdown, it doesn't matter the order then. You can Correct. get one field goal. You can get back down or get, get another field goal. Now, the last time you absolutely have to have a touchdown, can you do that in a seven-minute period of time? Or was that a two-possession game? And, and so I think as they look at it and say, how can we best use the time, you pretty much want to always make someone have to use the two touchdown theory in right. theory, you know, now if they don't get it, you're still talking about the exact same thing. The difference is they kick two field goals touchdown. You lose if you're only winning by 12 points, but I think you still put them in a scenario where right. not only they have to get two field goals, they must get the touchdown. And that's the key thing. Unfortunately, by getting the two touchdowns and pulling the game out, then the Raiders had a little bit of a chance. They had time. They did. They Which did not they use actually, the time. Well, they actually, and in, in that regard, uh, it goes further to the point that would have made even more for a case, I think, to say, look, I've got Sebastian Janikowski, so right. I've got a big window. Right. If I then have to come back and kick a field goal to win, I think that lends itself to – and I didn't pick it up at the time either. So, And, I, and I'm and i up in that booth and with a whole lot less heat on me right. than, than Hugh Jackson. So, And I didn't pick it up at the time either. But now in hindsight, if I'm going to critique myself, I'm going to say, you know what, I probably should have gone for the two. 
because even if I don't get it, now if they drive the length of the field as they did, and unless, you know, now I'm down by one, I still likely could have some time. Right to kick this field goal. Now, they actually got in a pretty decent position, and then they got sacked, and things didn't go quite well. They needed about another five yards. Right. But but that's that's just the game itself. So Well, and also I think you have to think that, unfortunately, you know, high-risk uh, and high-reward defense that the Raiders play. You know, in, in other words, that that is it a good defense to shut somebody down? Now, you know, there's that old chart. And that old chart, I yeah. guess I don't. I didn't pull it out. It's, it's I want to know who did it's in that chart somewhere. It's <laughs> right. in storage somewhere. But it not only is just how many points. In other words, get this to fourteen, but it also has to do with how much time Correct. is left. Also, and so it's it's a it's a call you have to make. It's is there time for them to drive the field and 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 have two field goals and a touchdown? And uh, unfortunately for the Raiders, right. it has basically put their entire playoff positioning in jeopardy right and seven minutes was right at that area where it's not real clear cut right. so there's no right or wrong answer other than as usual in this league if you're right if you win you're right if you're wrong you're the village idiot that, and you should have done the other I like to say good strategy is strategy that works <laughs> that's right Bad strategy unfortunately is strategy that doesn't work right i always i always love the question from the media well coach if you would known they were going to go 98 yards <laughs> would you have done something different you mean if if I'd have known I was going to lose, lose, would I do something different? Yeah, probably would have. You know, in hindsight, with that, if I'd have known then, yeah, I probably would have done something different. Uh, final play of the game, or not the final play that led obviously to the the final score for um, for Detroit. Though I got to look at it. You know, there's a lot of ways to play prevent defense. I do have to question. They were in in a classic prevent Tampa two right. that has Rolando McClain, the middle linebacker, running down the middle. And as we all know, Tampa two really is a three deep defense. That's it's a, a wide and two deep safeties with, with the middle, middle linebacker down. Is your free safety? Yeah, Rolando McClain, who's a fine player, running with Megatron, Calvin Johnson down the middle of the field with my safety too wide. Right. I ah, boy, I don't know if that's the one I dial up. And especially the Raiders. Too. The Raiders are not known. They're not a two deep team. They've, they've tried it this year. Uh, they're working it the best they can, but it's a long field. Uh, when you got a lot of field, you know, and that Tampa two works best about 40, 45, 50 in. The less distance between the middle backer and the end zone, the more the free safeties can collapse back in. Correct. The more distance, the more he spread out, the bigger the island the middle linebacker is on. Yeah, tough tough combination for them, and, and I, going in was going to be interesting to see. You kind of figured Calvin Johnson, who's not had a big month because everybody's going to take Calvin Johnson away, and that's right. why Brandon Pettigrew has a big game, Matthew Stafford very efficient. Well, you knew with the amount of one-on-one coverage they were going to get against the Raiders, unique to the Raiders, that Calvin Johnson was going to have a big game, and he did, 204 yards and two TDs. So, uh, And I think the Lions, uh, boy, you couldn't go. Uh, it's, I love the emotion of the game, Denny. You know, I'm sitting in Oakland, and the fans, the black holes fired up, right. and they're going to win this game. And they, they punt the ball, and it goes out on the two-yard line. You're right. thinking, boy, this couldn't be better. <laughs> and all of a sudden, they come screaming back, and you see the emotion of Detroit. This was a confident team coming in. They were tested. They'd come out with even more confidence. They got San Diego this week, also right. another confident team. Sure. Going to be interesting. Well, it really will be simply because, you know, you think defensively you have to be able to do something to stop a team that's trying to get the ball to the end and has to score a touchdown. I mean, they have to score a touchdown, which kind of makes it, brings it to your advantage. And uh, I think that says even more about Detroit. So their game against San Diego this week, I mean, something's going to give. Detroit will still be in the playoff hunt if they lose. 
Coach, you get you. Chargers gotta... will not be the playoff. They have to win them all yeah. just to be in the hunt. So you're eliminating the Chargers officially? No, I oh. think they got to win though. Oh, okay. No, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> with a qualifier, I'm with no, you. They have to. They they have to win both games. They have a shot. Well, let's talk about another convoluted sequence of events that has to happen for another division. The NFC, NFC East, Coach, you got to help me with. New York, who you know, I'm, uh, I, I, you know, I'm talking about how mentally tough New York is, right. going down and beating Dallas in the in the uh, in in Dallas, and then come back. I'll pull my Allen Iverson quote out again. Practice. It's the Washington Redskins. How do you after what you do in Dallas? And I know it's an emotional drain, but boy, letting Washington beat me if I'm New York, I, it's hard for me. How do you go forward now with your troops? Well, I think what's to, to me the, the Giants look fatigued. They look yeah. mentally fatigued, and I think it's going to be very difficult uh, for them to to get themselves keyed back up again. You know, uh, Coach Coughlin was very disappointed. Uh, he was very down. Uh, they uh, have dropped balls. Uh, they're not doing some of the things that they have to do. They were so physical. And, and and everything they did against Dallas. And many times, you know, you you try to cage that because you point everything towards Dallas. I mean, Dallas is the game. That's the big game. You're down there. You're whipping some backside on the star. Now, all of a sudden, you know, emotionally, do you still have it? Well, they didn't. They did not emotionally still have it. Now the question is, can they turn it back on with two games to go? They've got to win them both. And it's going to be tough. And as a coach, you know, I, I – uh, if my team is physically tired, I know how to deal with that. I know how to structure practice. I know how to get them physically back up. If they're mentally tired, uh, I can adjust my meetings. I can the amount of game plan we're putting in. I can do. If a team is emotionally tired because of this, and forget the team as the coach, you don't think Tom right. Coughlin isn't emotionally to deal with uh, to steal one of your sayings you taught me a long time ago. When that opportunity, when that door of opportunity opens up, are your bags packed? Right. Are you ready to step through it to beat Dallas to emotionally to yank this division right. back into your court Absolutely. and to now have to play the Washington Redskins? And and lose the game. How you deal with that emotionally? Wow! And you got your next two games at home because basically you can say at the Jets, right? But well, it's a home game. At home game, just different locker room. I guess I assume. They Actually, I think they like, stay in the same locker room, so that, well, you're, you're good to go. It's a home game. <laughs> That's even worse. And so they've got the Jets, who had their own struggles yesterday, and then home against Dallas. They have to win both games. They are now seven and seven, and they they're emotionally fatigued. And I think that's where Coffin's going to do what he has done a lot of the time, which is pick his team up get those guys back ready to understand what exactly it's going to take. And and so, uh, but as you know, there is another team rearing its head right How now. How about that? <laughs> and that other team is the Philadelphia Eagles. The Phoenix rising out of the ashes. <laughs> well, you know what? And I think that uh, Michael Vick playing poorly, they win, they lose some. Michael Vick not there, they lose. They don't win. Michael Vick's back, played pretty well yesterday. The question is now, Will the Eagles be able to come and win their last two ball games? And I'm saying that the Eagles can do it. And and I'm with you. Can the Eagles beat Dallas at Dallas? Yes. Beat the Redskins at the Redskins? Yes. The other part of the equation then is can Dallas then 
turn around and beat New York. There's so many moving parts here. Um, Dallas obviously feeling good about itself. Right. Uh, but, wow, when the pressure is on, can they step up? That mental toughness, I think they're lacking. New York, I think, is a mentally tough team, but I think they're just emotionally worn out. I, I think I think the Dallas Cowboys, given their schedule, who ha- they have left to play, I'm not sure they're a better team. I think they can pull this thing out just on the fact of the way the schedule. I think New York is just emotionally whipped right, right now. Uh, I think the Cowboys can do it, but but uh, who? I'm not real convicted about. Well, it. Well, you know what? The, the the Giants have to, of course, beat the Jets, which may or may not happen. I think the Eagles and 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 uh, and Dallas has to do it two weeks in a row. They have to beat the Eagles, right? And and uh, they're going to have to beat them. They're not going to get handed it to them now, the Eagles, because the Eagles are, you know, they have a little life now. And then they have to beat the Giants. And and so uh, I think it's going to be great for the NFC East. You know, one of those years where, you know, 8-8 eight and eight could get it done, 9-7 and seven, I think will be the one that gets it done. And, you know, I'm thinking Eagles, you're thinking the Cowboys, and, heck, it could be. The Giants. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really could. And that's a good thing about being on this side of the equation. Now we can come back later on going, no, I had the Giants all along. <laughs> so it is third and goal. Before earlier in the game, they went play action and an easy touchdown pass. This time they go to Ben Jarvis, Green Ellis, and he scores. Green Ellis puts this one on ice. If it wasn't before, it is now. And I got to believe that no matter how much these fans believe in Tim Tebow, <laughs> they're going to start heading to the exit. And here they go. Let's move on again. We have to do the perfunctory Tim Tebow, which and I only have to say that half jokingly. Uh, we made the point last week, not to pat ourselves on the back, but the challenge was going to be could Tim Tebow and the Broncos keep up in a track meet with the New England Patriots, and obviously they couldn't. No, and I said they couldn't. I, I'm a Tebow fan. I think he's better than most people. I see some of the guys just all over him, but I just did not think. Again, so often it is the quarterback. I mean, is Tebow going to be able to stay with Brady? No way, no how, under any circumstances. And what killed the Denver team was the turnovers. I mean, that made all the difference in the world. They played okay for the first quarter. They showed that they could run the ball on New England because everybody can run the ball in New England. But what they didn't show is they could turn the ball over and then stop New England or catch New England when New England turned those turnovers into points. Yeah, and, and, and I'm not off the wagon on Tebow anymore. I, 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 we learned a little bit more about him, um, and, and I think it was a good game to see that. I still have the same questions. Um, now for them going forward, the question becomes, can with them losing and Oakland losing – it raises the specter. San Diego, big win against Baltimore, and you have right. to be impressed with what Real they did. Real big win. Uh, and in the way that they did it. That was a Baltimore team that had a lot at stake. Right. We're talking about the one or two seed. and being. This now flips. If Pittsburgh is able to pull off the win on the road against San Francisco, Baltimore now finds itself, not only do they not have a bye, uh, but because they're, they're in a wild card position, they may not have a home game through the playoffs. That's right. a huge swing. So they had a lot at stake, and they had to come onto the West Coast playing late. I understand all that. San Diego has now given Oakland losing, giving Detroit losing, has put themselves right into the mix with this. This is uh, what do you think about the AFC West? Well, I just think that that Denver should be able to beat the buffalo because everybody's beating right. up i can't uh, you know buffalo is one of those teams that look like at four and two they were going to go there and they've really kind of gone into the tank so if denver can beat can beat buffalo 
on the road, then how about the Chiefs at home? And who knows what the Chiefs are going to do next week. But I tell you what, I, I think Denver still has a legitimate chance. Now, of course, yeah. living in San Diego, I am absolutely rooting for the Chargers. <laughs> they need to win both games and win them out. I think they can win it out. And so, uh, again, another 9-7 and seven team. Now, between the, the AFC East at 9-7 and seven, and uh, who's going to win it, and then the AFC or the NFC East, and the AFC West, those are two divisions that uh, that are supposed to be real strong that have just kind of been floundering a little bit. And the league's got just what they want, that it's going to come down within the division in the last game, which is right. great. I mean, that's the way it should be. You should have to win a division game at the right. end of the year. And they try to make that happen across the board. And, and I applaud that because it's, it, you know, it's great to do. Quickly on the Patriots, and obviously Tom Brady. I mean, 35-plus TDs. Uh, this is uh, Tom Brady. You know, I, I think there's a part of Tom Brady that's saying, you know what? Enough with this Aaron Rodgers talk. Enough with this. You know what? Let's <laughs> don't Tebow. forget. Yeah. Well, he runs a quarterback sneak, and I tell you what, I'm surprised there was air left in the ball after he spiked it. I mean, that was <laughs> I mean, it was a one-half-a-yard quarterback sneak, and I want to tell you, he exploded the ball on the turf. And, and I think he still has that spiciness, oh, which yeah. is something that Joe Montana had all Absolutely. the way to the end of his career. Well, uh, again, so I steal so much from what you taught me, Denny, that the, your, your concept of the pure competitor. Yeah. He's a pure competitor. Oh, you yeah. beat me, let's go do it again. Right. Just for the sheer sake of the competition. <laughs> Forget what the result is, the consequence. And it doesn't matter. Let's just, he's a pure competitor, like a lot of the great quarterbacks are. I, at the end of the day, I, I, it's hard for me to jump on the New England Patriots bandwagon as being the best team in the AFC because that defense is just too porous. And they can't do anything to make it better. Yeah, I think how they're the winning is that they are they are getting a few turnovers, and then Brady gets them out front. They're very explosive with the tight end and getting the balls at the crossing routes. Welker and and so Welker and so they're doing so many things well offensively, but defensively, uh, you know, Belichick has not been able to do anything to improve the defense, and so they're going to be there. They look great. But I, I think they're going to have a hard time against a team that can steady hold on to the ball. Yeah, and the Raiders, in terms of the AFC West, is not to, uh, I don't mean to go back to that, but that was a vulnerable team going in when I sat with them on Friday at the facility. A lot of want. Again, keep in mind, they haven't been in the playoffs since 2002. Now, they've got some players like Carson Palmer and, and Richard Seymour that have been to it, obviously. Right. But the core of the players, this is virgin territory for them. The circumstances kind of overwhelm them, and, and I don't know that they can go forward with the confidence to, to pull this thing out. Well, they, they struggle, and they've been losing close games. That was one they could have had because they could have got them back on track. Right. Uh, you know, they they had a bullseye on them. Uh, they're trying to be a little bit more zone team. They still lead the league in penalties. So there's so many things that they are not doing right that in the beginning of the year they were able to make up for it but now they've not been able to. Let's move on one final subject, then we're going to hit on a couple of the games coming up and, and, and call a day. But uh, we're getting we're closing in on the, the Black Monday and the coaching changeovers. We've already had three coaches change. You know, I kind of got drawn into it this week with the speculation. Let's talk about between now and, and Black Monday, right. the Monday after the end of the season, how this process unfolds because teams that are considering, and anybody that's not in the playoffs – is on the list. Right. I mean, there's always the potential. You don't know. It's not our place to say this coach or that coach is on the hot seat, but circumstances dictate we we know that that happens. And there's three pools of candidates. There's the college coaches that obviously there'll be some guys. Hasn't been real successful up to now, but there are guys, Kurt Ferenz at Iowa, because of his NFL background, right. you know, like a Jim Harbaugh, like you. you yeah, you 
went from college head coach to pro head coach, but you had a substantial pro background. Jim Harbaugh had a substantial pro background. Right. That, Kurt Ferenc, he's taking himself. He's staying at Iowa. Uh, yeah, maybe a less mile. So they'll, those, those conversations can be had. With regards to the the, uh, the coordinator pool, that can't be happening until the, their seasons are over, and there'll be some names that pop up. That leaves you with right now the ones that you can really talk about, and are they talking, are the former head coaches. Uh, you and I are in that category. Don't count me in that <laughs> Well, see, you're, you're the one that's firm enough. to. It's interesting to see. Uh, Tony Dungy's made it very clear he's right. not coming back, and we both know that's legitimate. Sure. Bill Cowher says, I have no plans on coming back. Well, that wait a minute now. That that's right. a little difference than I'm not coming back. I have no plans. Is differently. I I word it differently. I, you never say never. But to me, it's a very narrow bandwidth in right. terms of the team that would interest me. That still want to develop the right partnership. Who the GM is. We've already talked about. It. It's a GM's league. There are a lot of GMs don't want to deal with a former head coach. They don't want to deal with that whole persona. So uh, a lot of rhetoric getting thrown around these last couple of weeks. Well, it really is. I, I'd say the guy that for sure has said. He's taking one year off as Jeff Fisher. Absolutely. Uh, I think he'll be a hot commodity. He had so many years. He's still actively involved in the competition committee. So he only really has one leg out of a team. He still has got a leg in the league anyway. Any, uh, anyway. And so I think, but also cases like yourself, I, I think that if the right opportunity is there, you, you probably are going to think about it. Bill Cowher, the same way. There's no doubt about it. Uh Gruden, I don't think there's any doubt about it. Now, what you're getting is this year when the league is flush with money, when they've got a, a lot of money, when they have been some changes, when they're trying to establish if we're going to charge this much for TV, what kind of product they're going to be- give. I'm one of these guys. I'm not in that category. Under no circumstance would I coach again. I'm committed to living in San Diego. I've retired life with my wife, Marie, and Vanessa and Zach, and taking Vanessa to volleyball and Zach to basketball. So I'm 100% committed to that. Here's what I think we have to take a look at, though, in the National Football League. When we have a weekend like two weekends ago, where X number of quarterbacks drew for over 350 yards, and we have virtually every single record that's being broken, the signs of a little bit inexperienced coaching mm-hmm. is taking place. And I think that to have a guy like yourself, Cower, Gruden, you guys are still very young, to be on the sidelines now when the game is getting ready to take off, I don't. I think the league's got to look and say, you know what, Let's get those guys back in the game. I think we need those guys back in the game. So it's going to be interesting to see which general managers are going to look and say, hey, I need the best guy available. The best guy available is this guy. Then I'm going to get that guy to come with me. And not, you know, the best young guy who was here before who I know because I think that's what some of us taking place. And and a lot of it hasn't worked. That's part of the reason why I think when you jump on a guy like Haley and he's out already after three years. Why? Because I think clearly Scott Pioli thought he was getting a, a, a superstar, but he had to recognize he was unproven. Steve Spagnoli, unproven. I'm not putting guys down. Right. I'm just saying right. that when you have guys who have one on the sideline and are still young enough to make a difference, I'm not sure this is the year where they should be going with guys just because they're young. Yeah, it's interesting to me, I think, as, as you see teams go through the coaching search, too often they say, okay, here are the five guys. Well, what do you think? What do you think? How, what do I like about you? Okay, of the five, I like this guy. Rather than say, wait a minute, let's decide what it is we need. Right. What are the priorities? What are the skill set? Right. Now, who fits that skill set? There are some teams that that, that veteran experience 
is is got to be job one right now. Right. There are other teams that, yeah, maybe the young combination with with the young up and comer and this GM, maybe that's what we need. That you're right. It's not for us to say either which is right or which is wrong. Both are right. Both are wrong. And there's more examples of of winning and not winning in any of these scenarios. Obviously, it does go in cycles. But with the number of jobs that are likely available, there's a lot of that speculations that's going to come down the down the pike here, and it'll be interesting to see what comes with it. Let's real quickly before we get out of here, let's talk about just a couple games coming up. Uh, one, I've got the Arizona at Cincinnati game, and I think if there's two coaches that likely might not be in the playoffs but deserve Coach of the Year consideration because what they've done with their teams is right. Marvin Lewis in Cincinnati and Ken Wisenhut in Arizona. Yeah, I mean, both of the teams have really uh, had some obstacles but are hot right now, playing extremely well, maybe not well enough. Remember when, when the Arizona went to the Super Bowl, they were off, coming off a 9-7 and seven regular season. They got hot. They are a very hot team right now. They beat a lot of good teams. Cincinnati has the advantage of being home. Arizona basically is an indoor uh, team that has to go out, outdoors, and that's going to be their challenge playing at Cincinnati. But but both Marvin Lewis and Ken have done a very good job. And I, you look at I, I said early in the season, if Marvin Lewis gets to eight and eight, he gets my coach of the year. Right. Now I'm biased because Marvin worked for me for a number of years. And, but what he's done, can you imagine, particularly if they make the playoffs, Marvin Lewis is sitting there in Cincinnati. He's now got his young quarterback. He's got that young tight end. He's right. got Shipley, who's injured, but uh, Green. They're playing great defense. I got all of the Raiders drafts for the next five years, it seems like. <laughs> I'm sitting in pretty good. They, they've, they've had an excellent offseason and season. And they really have been when it started with so poorly because of Carson Palmer saying, trade me or I'm retiring. And I'm saying, we're not going to trade you. And so he says, okay, I'm retiring. So they went and just said, hey, here's a guy that can help us. He's sitting on the sideline not playing, and we have to start a rookie. But they were able to overcome it and then get somebody to trade for him. So that uh, was a big move. Big Monday night game, Atlanta at New Orleans. Here, 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 I want to get your take on this. Atlanta coming off a big win. Atlanta looks awful good. Now, there's some inconsistencies there. Offensive line's a little iffy for me, but Michael Turner pounding away. Julio Jones on the outside really beginning to show up. you got Tony Gonzalez, uh, Matt Ryan. Defense is solid. Not spectacular, but solid. Everybody right now is you know, kind of you're, you're going to see power poles, and a lot of people are going to put New Orleans on top of, of Green Bay, and, and they're pretty good. Don't make right. no mistake. I love the way they can run the ball. If Atlanta can go on the road and beat New Orleans, and I've done two of these games. These are, Danny, we've been in a few of these games. Right. These are physical, knockdown, drag-out games. If Atlanta can go in and beat New Orleans, I, I think that can change the power structure in the NFC. I think Atlanta becomes a very legitimate I think that that's going to be a chance, but Drew Brees is still my guy. And I tell you what, he's on fire. He wants to break the record. He doesn't want to break the record more than he wants to win. He wants to win by breaking the record. (laughs) I think that's what's going to take place. Well, that does it for this week's Coach Show podcast presented by Bud Light. Now, a couple things now, and I, I'm, those that want to, we love doing this podcast because it gives us a chance to kind of air out some of these things. Those of you, if you've got some questions for Denny and I and you want us to scrimmage these around, you can get to me at Coach Billick. Tweet to me at Coach Billick. That's C-O-A-C-H-B-I-L-L-I-C-K. Uh, and we'll discuss these things on the podcast. We know you enjoy listening to it. We love talking about it. You can download the Coach Show podcast from iTunes or go to nfl.com slash podcast. Also be sure to catch the Coach's Show on the NFL Network every Monday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Thanks, everybody.